One of the wonderful things about Facebook is the birthday greetings you get every year. It's like a flood of love that just kind of envelops you. Happy birthday. May all good things be yours in the coming year. Wishing you a fabulous day. A special birthday wish for a wonderful person. May all your dreams come true. But this past birthday, one wish on my timeline stood out for me as different from all the others. It was from a seminary friend of mine, and it said simply, Happy birthday, Terry. I wish you enough. Hmm. I wish you enough. Enough of what, I wondered. Enough for what? For a minute, I was a little hurt. Doesn't she want me to have more than just enough? What kind of crazy talk is that? Spend even a half hour watching TV and the many messages we receive say nothing about having enough. It's all about having more. More beauty, more success, more money, more prestige, more sex appeal, more friends, more time, more possessions. Why settle for enough when you can have more? After all, we live in a capitalist society. The very fabric of our economy is built on the desire for more. In fact, it's downright unpatriotic to not want more. Think about 9-11 or other crises in this country. In the midst of crisis, people are encouraged to go out and buy more as a way to support our nation and boost the economy. It's just the American way. So isn't it crazy to think that we can live in our culture and not have some amount of greed? Besides all that, shouldn't we all try to take care of our future needs? I think about the possibility of my children having to care for me as I grow older. It seems irresponsible and even selfish not to put away all that I can as a security net for all those unforeseen things that may arise in the future. If Jesus lived in the 21st century in the United States, what would he say to all this? Well, maybe we can catch a glimpse or a clue in today's gospel reading from Luke. The Pharisees are already hostile toward Jesus at this point in the gospel. Luke tells us at the end of the previous chapter that they are cross-examining him about many things, lying in wait to catch him in something he might say. Then someone in the crowd says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus, it seems was not exempt from attempts to pull him into the midst of conflict, something that today we call triangulation. But even without all the leadership books that we now have, Jesus was too savvy to let that happen. Sensing that triangulation is not a good thing, and knowing that Jewish law spells out patterns of inheritance, Jesus replies, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? Then, as Jesus often does, he names the real underlying motivator in the dispute, saying, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then we have the parable of the rich fool. It's an entrepreneur's dream. A rich man's land produces so much that he doesn't even have enough room to store his crops. So he says to himself, I know. I'll tear down all my barns and build bigger ones to store all my crops and goods. Then I'll tell my soul, soul, you have enough for many years. So relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says, you fool, this very night you will die. 
Then all these things you have worked for and stored up, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. For a short parable, we find here some pretty significant things on which to reflect, and I want to talk about three of those things in particular. First, can we really make our future secure by having more possessions, by storing up more treasures? Second, what does this rich man's internal dialogue say about how he values people and things? Third, what does it look like to have enough anyway? So the first item, can we make our future more secure by amassing wealth? We certainly try. We make all sorts of contingency plans. Barns are the first century equivalent of retirement accounts, investment strategies, home equity, bomb shelters, homeland security. Barns are the tangible expression of being ready for what the future might bring our way. But can these stores of riches really protect us from tragedy? No. Cancer, mental illness, unhappiness, tragic accidents, and death fall on the rich and the poor alike, on both the well-prepared and those who have no backup plans. If there's anything that following a crucified and resurrected Savior tells us, if there's anything that following a Savior who reminds us again and again that to save our life is to lose it and to lose our life for his sake is actually to save it, if there's anything that that tells us, It's that our final security rests in God, not in anything that we can own or that we think we control. When we look for security in other places, we never find it. Instead, we're just left with a desperate thirst for more. Second, what does the man's conversation with himself say about the relative value of people and things? Is all this just a matter of whether one is stingy or generous? Or is it a matter of a whole new way of understanding what it means for us to participate in God's love for the world? It's not so much money or possessions that pose the problem here. Instead, it's about where we put our possessions in the scheme of what matters to us. David Lowe sums up St. Augustine's teaching on what the good life is when he writes this. St. Augustine once said that God gave us people to love and things to use, and sin, in short, is the confusion of these two things. I'm going to say that again. St. Augustine once said that God gave us people to love and things to use, and sin, in short, is the confusion of these two things. In other words, sin is about loving things and using people. If we look at the man's internal dialogue, we see a lot of egocentrism here. Never once does he think of anyone else. Instead, it's all about what he will gain, what his life will look like, his own security, taking care of what he has. He has developed a love of things. He even quotes scripture to validate his plans. We read in Ecclesiastes 8.15, There is nothing better for people under the sun than to eat and drink and to enjoy themselves. For this will go with them in their toil through the days of life that God gives to them under the sun. And once we can take a verse of scripture and use it to endorse what we want to do, we're home free, right? But it's not that easy. Living the abundant life that God wants for us is not about finding some verse in the Bible that we can then make into a law. 
Instead, it's about aligning our lives with God's love and using our money in a way that reflects our love for God and our love for others. And here's the part we sometimes miss. This means that we don't just give our 10% to the church and then say, Great, I've done my part and I can do whatever I choose with the 90% left. Stewardship is as much about how we use the 90% we don't give to the church as it is about the 10% we give to the church. Stewardship is every bit as much about how we use the 90% that we don't give to the church as much as it is about the 10% that we give to the church. Stewardship is about letting our whole life be taken up into God's plan for the world, letting love of God and neighbor shape how we use even that 90%. And this brings us to the third question. How do we learn to be happy with enough? How do we even know what enough is? To begin with, I want to say this, and that's that we don't get to decide what is enough for other people. We only get to decide that for ourselves. Our concern can only be making ourselves better Christians, not other people. So what constitutes enough in our own lives? It's the question the rich farmer faced when his harvest was so abundant. This past fall, Stephanie Vanderslice facilitated a book study for our Monday noon Bible study. We read a book together called Enough, Finding More by Living with Less by Will Davis, Jr. Davis calls the moment when the farmer received an abundance of crops decision time. We all have decision times in our lives, times when we come face to face with the question, do I already have enough? No one sermon, or any number of sermons for that matter, will provide easy answers to this question. But maybe we can start to find just a place to begin. David Lowe's professor at Luther Seminary suggests three steps toward a different way of relating to God and to other people, especially when it comes to the use of our our money and our possessions. First, start having the conversation. We need to talk about the role of money in our world today. We need to talk about it at home, but we also need to talk about it in church. Because if we don't talk about it here, then the only voices we'll hear on the subject are those of the consumer's culture in which we live. So we have to start the conversation. Number two, we need to practice naming our blessings, not just the tangible ones that we can own or hold in our hands, the one that the media tries to convince us that are missing in our lives. Instead, we need to name the ones that are powerful and present and can't be bought. A conversation with a friend. The joy that comes from helping another person. Sunshine on a summer day. When we practice naming our blessings, gratitude becomes a way of life. And then we can start to try to figure out what enough really is. And then three, we need one another's support as we try to live a life of enough. So let's think about the ways we can support one another, the ways that we can share our struggles, the ways that we can learn together how to live the abundant life God really has in mind for us, a life where we love people and use things in ways to enrich and support that love of people. 
How can we draw courage from one another to live freely a life of enough? Community is really important in this because it's the security of community, knowing that we're not in it alone, that lets us take the risk to live a life of enough. So those are the things that I would like for us to ponder and maybe begin to practice. So I end the sermon this morning with a wish. I simply wish you enough.